0: Does everybody know why God gave us pastors and teachers and evangelists and the communicators? He did. He gave them to us. But do you know why he did that? We read it in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians 4, I'll sort of introduce what we're talking about today. My Bible reads, And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. The word some never occurs in the Greek. There's no word for that. It just as he gave the, the, pro- the apostles, he gave the prophets, he gave the evangelists, he gave the pastors and teachers. And uh, for some people, that's the most important verse in the Bible because they get pastor-centered, pastor-focused. It's the verse that says people are pastors that aren't besides Jesus. If you study the word pastor which is poimeno to pastor or shepherd, or poimain, the Greek word poimain, shepherd. If, if, you, if, you, if you look this up in the New Testament, the doctrine is overwhelmingly about the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd and overseer. Both words in First Peter 2. The great shepherd and overseer of the sheep. Or actually, of our souls. The great shepherd and overseer of our souls, Peter says. And that, that's really important because he's not talking about Jesus when he says he gave some as pastors and teachers in Ephesians 4.11. The context of Ephesians 4 is spiritual gifts. He gave gifts among men in verse seven. And then the gifts that he mentions are people. He gave these people to the church. And I started with the question, do you know why pastors in the Bible, I'm talking about corporate stewardship in the church. Do you know why pastors because it tells us why he gave these communicators who are gifted spiritually with communication gifts. I didn't say interpretation gifts. I said communication gifts. They're gifted spiritually with these communication gifts, and then that's for a purpose. He says in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. Now, if you have a theology that says saints are other than every believer in Christ, if a theology says saints are the super-Christians, if you have the theology that says saints are the ones that make it to sainthood, then you don't have any access to what Paul's saying in Ephesians 4.12. Because if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's talking in 4.12 to you for the equipping of the saints, including those who might be pastors and teachers and evangelists as they grow spiritually. Wherever, whoever they are, whatever the, all the saints need the communicators to equip them. It says, 4.11, 4.12, but why do you need and I need to be equipped? Now, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 tells us that we're saved by grace through faith. And that not of ourselves is a gift of? Not of? Not of? Works. Not of? Works. Can you say it? It's a gift of God, not of? Works. Lest any man should boast. That's Ephesians 2:8 and 9. In Ephesians 4 and verse 12, he says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Well, Paul doesn't think we should do any work. Paul's life is the work of service. Paul's entire life is living out the grace of God given to him to go work in the gospel. Of course we're supposed to work, but we work out our salvation, not for our salvation. And so the equipping of the saints is so that you can do the work you're supposed to do. To the building up of the body of Christ. How does the body of Christ grow? How does it become edified or built up? The work of service. Done by whom? The saints equipped how? By the communicators. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. There is a ministry goal in the spiritual gifts that God has given us. And it's the building up of the body of Christ. And in Ephesians 4, 7, he says, you have a spiritual gift. You may not be gifted as a communicator or You may. But you have a spiritual gift and it's for the equipping of the saints, for the ministry of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. And we're not done until when? Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. That means that we're all of one mind on what must be believed of God's revelation. The faith there is that which we believe. The faith is the body of objective truth that we have here in the scriptures, the unity of the faith. That means that doctrine matters. That means that how we understand what God is saying matters. So we spend time with one another on it. That's right. You spend time with one another on this. And then he says, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, the unity of the faith, the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God, that focuses in the body of truth that we're we're talking about, the knowledge of the Son of God, that we're focused on Christ. And we have him correctly. We understand who he is and what he wants and what he's like. And we don't have these these pretenders telling us who Jesus is, who don't really know, but they sound cool and fun and it's exciting. We have what Jesus actually told us, we're hearing from the apostles. And then he says, to the m- measure, we're, we're, to a mature man, which that's the goal of each individual believer be spiritually mature in the knowledge of Christ, in the unity of the faith, the body of truth that must be believed, To to a mature man, there's there's this idea that we're headed to a spiritual development where we're sufficiently mature to serve. And then he says, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Uh Uh-oh, nobody has ever arrived. You can never say it. Philippians 3 does the same thing. I haven't attained yet. Paul hadn't attained yet in Philippians. Well, he's in prison, praising the Lord no matter what. He hasn't attained yet? No, nobody has attained yet because the goal is the character of Jesus formed in your heart. The character of Christ. So it's a constant goal. It's a constant aspiration. And I never say, well, I'm never there. It doesn't matter because I'll never get there. I say, to that which I've attained, I'll advance. My position in Christ, I'm going to live out by faith in Him. This is why pastors, I could also ask the question, why church buildings? I could ask the question, why? Parking lots. We could ask any any feature of ministry that facilitates our becoming mature believers doing the work as mature workmen and women. Okay? This is what we're talking about in corporate stewardship in the church. I'm getting in the series we're doing on biblical ownership or radical stewardship, I'm getting to the point where we're going to talk about money. It's a really important topic in the Bible. And as soon as I say that, some of you just clicked off and you said, oh, that topic doesn't belong here. And I I understand how you feel. I feel the same way. But the Bible says, the Bible says, and it's got a very clear portrayal of how you and I, in the body of Christ, in the local assembly of the body of Christ, how we relate to money. We have to talk about it. Because I'm not going to hold back from sharing the whole counsel of God's word. Now money is the place where it's become sort of the test for us because we will seek first the kingdom and his righteousness as long as you don't touch money. But it's that topic, you cannot serve God and wealth, in Matthew chapter 6, that fries the whole thing. And so... We're getting to the place where we're going to talk about what people usually mean in Christianity when we talk about stewardship. But the reason I've approached this this way and the reason I'm going to talk about money at the end of the conversation is because I want to make the necessary correction. Stewardship is not really about money. This building is a stewardship and it's really not about the building. The building plan. We've got this thing we're about to launch and brief on you. Probably next Sunday we'll probably share a lot about what we're planning if God provides to do with our physical worship facilities. But these are means to an end. This and like everything else that you can touch in this life is kindling. This thing is going up in 2 Peter 3. Probably before this one. Probably going away before the the conflagration of the elements melting with intense heat. But my point is, what I'm trying to say is, Stewardship isn't really about money, but money's a great example of it. You can start in Matthew, or sorry, Acts chapter 5, and the, the way Peter talks about the giving for the ministry of the gospel with Ananias and Sapphira and telling the truth to the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk eventually about what tithing really is and whether the Bible says that you must give 10% before or after taxes. In some churches, they will say, we're glad you're visiting. You've been to church two or three times, so the elders are going to come visit. The stewardship elders. Um, they probably show up in a suit. If I come see you, I won't usually be in a suit, but, it, but I might. Depends on if you catch me after church. But they'll come, the stewardship elders will come up after church, and they'll, uh, they'll ask you if you want to, can we come visit with you? Yes, we love, we love our coming to worship there. And then they might ask you if you want to pull out a, a recent pay stub. Because on your pay stub, it might include your withholding and your, um, your, your net and your gross proceeds for that pay period. Because the theory is that if we're supposed to tithe, and by the way, the Bible didn't say you're supposed to tithe. But if you're supposed to give, and which means give 10% of your income, the elders need to help you figure out what that is before taxes not after the tax man takes his cut. Y'all follow me what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this is an egregious thing that happens to people who w- wanted to come and worship and join the body of Christ and are maybe excited about the word and, and now they're being told that they owe a tax. And it's a tax above what the government, I mean, it's amazing um, what happens. Do you tip before the, the tax or after the, the, the sales tax on the, at the restaurant? Do you tip what the government added to your bill, and then you tip that, or you tip the, 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 the net? That's the kind of thought process. Do you give your 10% in a tithing legalistic setting, do you give 10% before taxes or after taxes? That could be a significant difference. And so those, the stewardship elders are just trying to help you, you know, do your right thing before the Lord, as he understands it, which he doesn't. The tithe is an English word that means tenth, and it comes from some of the offerings that God called Israel to in the Levitical system of the worship of Israel. You have to understand, their income taxes paid the living of the priests. There was no separation of church and state as we understand it. And, and the 10% was actually twice a year. And then there was a third every three year 10%. And I think that works out to something like 23.3 repeating percent. So that's really what we're doing. We're asking for 23 point. No, no. The Bible in the New Testament never tells the body of Christ composed of Jew and Gentile, locally, local assemblies, there's no big organization, there's just local assemblies, it never says anything about a required percentage of your first fruits. It just consistently says... That you give to the Lord as a ministry of your, your worship to Him. And it's always to Him. Some people get confused about this in churches. They'll go give money to the pastor. They get Well, it takes care of you and your family, so I'll just give money to the pastor. But no, you're not giving money to the pastor or the treasurer or the little dinky boxes back there. What we're doing and giving is giving in worship to God. And the idea that if you don't have this in your heart, don't do it. Listen, don't give if you don't have this. God, you've given to me. And in gratitude and faith, I'm giving back to you. And it's, it's John 17. Give me. You've given me. Now, now I've given to you. Now give some to me. And it's this reciprocation. There's lots the Bible teaches about this. And it's not my topic today. But that giving piece gets distracting because we forget what we're doing. The body of Christ is not a business with a goal of raising money. It's not an organization with the goal of having more people in the room. It's really not. You notice in, on the walls, plaster walls as they are. Did you notice that we don't have a sign that tells you how many people came last week and how much money was given? Churches will do that. Baptist churches and others will, will do that. We never do. You know why we don't do that? Why would we do that? <laughs> Pastor, why don't you celebrate Ash Wednesday? Why would I? Where would I get that idea? Find me Ash Wednesday. There's a lot in here, and that's not part of it, so I won't do it, right? Here's what I'm trying to say. We're not here to get numbers of people. We're not here to get money. We're not here to build buildings. We're here for what we're talking about today, the corporate stewardship in the church. And what is our stewardship? What's the main thing we've been entrusted with? That's the question. The gospel ministry, the great commission to make disciples, the awesome charge to be part of our Father's works. I mentioned this several times. We got three points of review over the last several weeks we talked about. Last time we had uh, our missionary visit from Wes. And so the first principle that I want to talk about in review is this reciprocation with God. The widow gives her might, not thinking, now we'll starve and die. She gives her might because she was given it by God, and she loves God and gives it back, knowing that God has her. And they're playing, they're playing ball. There is this concept in John 17, 1 through 5. Do you remember? Father, now glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world was. Everything you've given to me, I've given to you. And that, that's this reciprocation. It's wonderful. But the idea is that God has given, so I Give back to Him, and then He gives to me. Have you heard people talking about giving back? In humanism today, I just wanted to give back. To whom? Oh, to the community that has so blessed me. Okay, there's a better giving back. God has given you everything you have. He made it all, He owns it all, He distributes as He sees fit. And as He's given to you, you have an opportunity to give to Him. Remember this concept. Anything and everything God gives us, we should use to glorify him. Anything and everything. Now, again, worship is not singing and giving is not offerings. Singing is worship. Giving money to the Lord or offerings to the Lord in ministry are giving. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Worship is life. What I'm doing with my resources is all for Him, including the part of, that I set aside to give as a ministry offering to the, to the gospel. Anything and everything God gives us, we should use to glorify Him. Don't be Herr Schindler. Stare at your car at the end and say, I could have bought some more people out of the, out of the, the ovens, out of the gas chambers and, and the Holocaust. Take everything you have. Think about how it belongs to God. Everything. And I listen, I'm not saying sell it and then give the money to the church. That's not the topic. Th- this is about you in the judgment seat of Christ and not wasting your life. It's not about us getting money. Th- that's God's money. And everything I own is His, and everything you own is His, whether we know it or not. And so that's really the big picture of reciprocation. Whatever you gave me, Father, I've given back to you. That's John 17. And that's not just for the, you know, for the, for the clergy. That's everybody. And that's not a vow of poverty either, by the way. Where'd that come from? That's not a vow of poverty either. That is a commitment to the wealth of reciprocation with God the Father. All right. My favorite illustration of this is Christmas time when mom and dad set aside a shopping day. If they do, if, you have, if you're organized people, I've heard this, this is done. You set aside some shopping time for the kids, and they're going to think about what they'd like to get mom. So dad takes them to wherever, they're going to go pick something out for mom, and as they get older, maybe they get to have the money themselves that you pass out to them to go get something for mom. You just gave them money for them to use to give something to be part of this reciprocation. Some of you are like, wait, the kids would get presence for the parents? What is this? This is training. (laughs) But the, the idea is that you gave it to them and then they gave it to you. And so you're being equipped. Now take that difference between parents and children and make it an infinite difference. God doesn't need anything from us, but by a sovereign, loving arrangement, he wants you to make choices of what he's given you to glorify him with. And he's inviting you to play ball. I say play ball because like a kid in the backyard playing catch with his dad. Dad throws the ball, I catch it. I throw the ball back to dad, he catches it. And we just play and pitch and we're talking and, we're, and that's the idea of giving. The building project is our second point of review. And it might be surprising that I'm not talking about sticks and stones and plaster and horsehair cushions and things. We're talking about 1 Corinthians three twelve through 15. What is our building project? What is our building project? And by the way, this wonderful old antique is one of the means by which we participate in this building project. What's the project? 1 Corinthians 3.12-15. Does anyone have it ready? You want to hold forth? So the folks at home are wishing I would handed you the microphone, and thank you. Next time we'll have to be faster on that. He just read 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15, which says that the building project is gold, silver, precious stones. And the test of the building project is the fire that will determine the value of the materials you used, and whatever's left over after the test of fire, you get back. And if you, if you built with the wrong materials, then that all goes, gets consumed. It's all combustible. You get singed eyebrows, but you're saved, though as through fire. Meaning you wasted your life. You wasted every opportunity. The whole building structure you built in your life is wasted. Now, we heard the description of the judgment of the building materials. What is the building? Read 1 Corinthians chapter 3 sometime, verses 1 through 11. The building is the edification of the saints, the building up of the body of Christ, just like we read in Ephesians chapter four. It's like the same guy wrote 1 Corinthians three, they wrote Ephesians four, like he's got a mission. Now, where did Paul get that mission? We're on a mission from God. He got a mission from God, from the Lord Jesus Christ, as Jesus sent the disciples out to all the nations to make disciples. This is the work of the body of Christ. This is what we're doing. And we use buildings, we use cars, the. Ethnos 360 people use airplanes, and airplane hangars and airplane mechanics, and airplane fuelers, and certifiers, and all that's necessary to get those cargo planes up in the air, to get them up into the mountains to resupply Wes and Penny and the Minya uh, work. Everything they have that that isn't grass huts and stuff is brought by air and transport, including the gas to drive the the four-wheeler, transported by four-wheeler with trailer, hopefully on a a dry day, (laughs) not a rainy day. Four-wheeler dragging a trailer from the airfield is how they live. All the mechanical necessities of, of a an air wing. That's part of the building project. Those mechanics turning those wrenches are doing the work of building up the body of Christ. And we have brothers and sisters in Minya. We heard from last week because of that, the building project, we all have a mission to edify or build the church. That's the body of Christ, not this building. Understand the body of Christ, and our reward depends on the materials we use. It may be that you have grown up as an American saying, we're going to church. I get it. I say it, too. I still say it. Come on, let's get in the car. We're going to church. I say that 15 or 20 times. All right, come on. Let's, we're going to church. And we have this idea that church is the building. And that's a one step removed from what the Bible says about the church. The church is not the building, but the church is in the building when we assemble. The church is you. It's the people. The assembly. That's what it means. Like I see it, the assembly. The people gathered together. That's the church. But the building houses it. The building's a place where we assemble for this. Okay? What about the people that never got that? And they thought the church was just this place. It's a place, not a, not a group. If they don't get corrected, if they don't understand what's really going on, they're going to take another step further and say it's their church. That's this people's group. This is this this people's building, and that's the way the world looks at us. This building is is those people's church. So there really is in your culture representation between you and the structure, including the steeple. I'm I'm thankful that everybody uh, dressed. Appropriately to the occasion today, but but the whole whole building hasn't. (laughs) But but the steeple is not our mission, and this building is not our mission. The building is a means to the end of our mission. And the building materials have nothing to do with if we're going to build with steel or 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 wood or whatever wood frame construction. It's the word of God. Now, on this topic of the building project meaning the gold, silver, precious stones would build the body of Christ with. What at bottom is Paul talking about? The building materials. He's talking about meeting people with the Word of God so that they know God through His Word. He's talking about that protocol system where God has inspired the writers of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, and He illuminates the heart of the believer as we take in that Word, as we're taught, as we read, as we think about, as we meditate on the Word of God night and day. And that is... That is the materials, and that's why we're in the Bible. I'm teaching the Bible constantly. I can't talk about having a mission or edifying the church unless I'm getting it from 1 Corinthians 3. I I can't. My conscience says, Don't do that because I run the risk of making things up. Because I have a creative uh, uh, hair every once in a while, I have a creative thought, and maybe that's the thing I should talk about. No, it's what God says. That's the materials. So that clever guy that says a bunch of stuff that's not in the Bible, but he, wow, that not like a good word. And we're getting our ears tickled, and, and that's not the building materials, beloved. And so I'm trying to um, impress upon you the importance of God's word. But why would you study the word? Well, one reason you would do it is because you want to be part of the construction team. You want to build. I want to build into someone's life. I want to bring the word to them. I want to illuminate them as God would use me and share the the word. We also talked about the judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. Therefore, we have as our ambition, whether in the body or out of the body, whether we're here or absent, whether present in the body or absent. We have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, that means whether we're, At home with the Lord or absent from Him physically here is what he's talking about. To be pleasing to Him. Our ambition, our aim, our singular focus is to be pleasing to God. Don't let someone then whisper to you, you already are pleasing to God because of your position in Christ and because that cancels what Paul says. Of course, in your position in Christ, because you're in Christ, you're pleasing to God. This is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. The father's pleased with the son. You're in the son, so he's pleased with you in position. But we're not talking about position. We're talking about what you do with it. We have work to do. Dad has us in the company and he wants to see us perform. You've got to get your sales numbers up in the, in the analogy of the of the business that dad brings us into. Careful about sales because we're not selling anything. But God does have an enterprise and he he could just do it all himself. He could do extreme ownership and just own everything and do it all himself. And we could all sit on the sidelines and just clap for every touchdown while I mix metaphors. But he doesn't do it that way. What Jesus does, what God does, is he says, this is what I want you to do. And this is the power I'm giving you to do it. And this is the time and the, and, the, and the opportunity and the resources. And then he says, go. And then you and I say, I wonder what I should do today. We hear the starter piston. We, what was that sound? Was that incoming or outgoing? What, what was that, that shotgun shot sound? Oh, I'm wearing a number and running shorts. I don't, uh, I don't know why I'm wearing running shorts these guys are all running. Why are they? Hmm. I'm not to think about that. And that's where Christians are. That's where a lot of us are, is that there's a race that's been set before us. The, the pistol went off. You're, you're, you're running this race, but you're not. We're not. And the reason we don't is because we lack a personal sense of being pleasing to our Savior. It's our singular ambition to be pleasing to Him. Why? Because in verse 10, we must all appear before the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, to receive recompense as payback for what we've done in the body, that's as believers, whether good or bad, whether pleasing to God or wasted. The works of the building project in 1 Corinthians 3. We must all appear... For judgment of our works as believers. This is not get paying for your sins. Jesus paid for the sins. This is, did you do the work that I set you up to do? This is the evaluation, the performance review at the end of the the period, of, of the evaluation period. It's a very short time, just a few decades. Eternity is a really long time. And if you, if you buy into the materialism of our time, if you think all there is is right now, all I have is what I see and all there can be is all I can imagine, if you adopt that materialistic, limited frame that Satan wants you to adopt, then you won't think about how long eternity is and how short now is and how opportune this moment is. And I'm not going to throw away my shot, as they as many, what, what's his name, um, as they said in the the, the Hamilton song. I'm not going to throw away my shot. I'm going to use it, and it's only going to be for a few years. And you're only going to suffer for your Savior and disciple up under the pressure of your sin nature and the outside pressure of the the devil's world calling to your sin nature. And Satan and his fallen angels attacking you in ways you don't even know. You're only going to deal with this pressure of people hating you for Christ's sake for a few decades, for a few years. And then there's eternity. And that's really what Christian stewardship is about. It's really, man, I've never, seen, um, I've never seen such a contradiction as when, um, I don't want to hurt, step on any toes, maybe you bought bricks and stuff, but when people do these building projects and they sell a brick so that you can have it in laser inscribed and then your name is forever on the building until they replace the facade with that brick in the building that you gave such and such. Now, to give, to, to build in this building, uh, you've got to pony up, you know, a few thousand dollars to, to, for our funding campaign, and then we'll put a brick with your name on it. That's what people do for building projects, but not here. We can't do that. Because you have your reward in full, as Jesus said, because you did it to get a memoriam to yourself. You you can't. You cannot forfeit your reward for serving God and giving or whatever you've done. You can't. Just please never do something like this. We will never do anything like that. But um, it's such a contradiction because you're not building with bricks and money. We're building with the gospel, and what we're building is not buildings. We're building people into Christ. And you can do that with. Can you read? I can't read, I have trouble reading. Okay, can you hear someone read to you? Can you get a, 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 an audio recording of the Bible and play two or three minutes of it and just listen and then rewind, and play it again until you can remember it? I knew of a, a preacher, I had a, a friend in the army whose daddy was a preacher and she said that uh, her daddy couldn't read. Mama read the Bible to him on Saturday night and he preached it on Sunday morning. Hey, if that's what it takes, if he's the guy that, that can do it, do it. And he did. She said he was a powerful preacher, but he couldn't read. His daddy, daddy never learned to read. Can you read? Oh, those, the illiteracy, that's, that's a shocking thought. There are people that can't, maybe people among us that can't. What, what if you can? Can you read out loud? <laughs> can you sit down with somebody in 1 Thessalonians 1 and say, over a cup of coffee, if you're sanctified, or whatever you drink if you've got issues. But, um, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. You're sitting down with somebody over a, a pleasant moment and you say, you just read the words out loud. Watch this. It's so cool. First lesson to teach someone in First Thessalonians, a new, a new believer that you're going to build with some gold, silver, precious stones. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. You don't have to read any further to have a little message right there about who God is and what he's like. Because when God's person, when God's man speaks to God's people, he says what God wants for his people. He wants you to have his grace and he wants you to experience his peace. God is good and God is loving. And this is the greeting that defines our Christian walk grace to you and peace from God our father that's its own little message you don't have to read it in Greek to share that message with a new believer that God wants us to enjoy his grace and his peace then you can if you really think about it you can start asking a few discussion questions to talk about what it means that we would have his grace and his peace And have you experienced God's grace and peace? And do you know what that is? And then if it's a brand new believer, you go back to the gospel. Do you understand how we have God's grace through Christ and what he did? Do you understand what peace is? He's not at war with us because of our sin anymore because Jesus paid for the sins. And do you have that in your heart? Do you know that we have God's grace and peace through the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross? Do you know the gospel? Can you go back to the gospel, someone? Or do you only have the ability, listen, to hear can you not say it? I mean, this, that? There was a time in my life I couldn't say it. One of the reasons is because no one told me I should. No one said, you should be saying these simple things. Now, don't go beyond what the text says and say something it's not saying, please. Don't add errors that are the world's full of, but in the Spirit, walking in the fear of the Lord, you can share these ideas. It's simple and because you, you've learned to read. I mean, there was a book that, They wanted us to read, so we invented a literacy program, have the universal literacy, like like never in all of world history, even the girls. Everybody's taught to read, especially the girls now, especially the girls. They're the readers, right? Why do we read? Well, so we can read the newspaper and be lied to. And not, not really read anymore, now just emojis. We can meme ourselves and TikTok ourselves to death. Now the the ministry of the gospel is the stewardship, and one of the means by which we advance the ministry of the gospel is in our giving, and it's real clear that that's the arrangement. So don't please make this about something that it's not. The challenge, beloved, is what are we building? What? What are we building? We are building people into the character of Jesus Christ in Ephesians 4. We're building people into the character of Jesus Christ. And let me paraphrase with you one more time as we close. It's a long close. In Ephesians 4-7, he starts this topic of spiritual gifts. Everybody gets one in Ephesians 4-7. Let me pull it up. I will pull it up in my uh, codex. To each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he Uh, summarizes Psalm 68 and talks about who Jesus is, the one who gives the gifts because of his victory. And now verse 11, he gave some, he gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. I started with this, I'll close with this. These are communicators. Every one of these, apostles, a communicator, a prophet, just all a prophet is, is someone who speaks God's word. An apostle is someone who speaks God's word with authority to, to administer. Prophets aren't given administrative authority as we read the scriptures. They're given the word of God in their mouth and they say it. Word for word, what Isaiah the prophet said is God's word. What New Testament prophets said like Mark is God's word, what they wrote. Evangelist is a controversial topic because we have this idea that an evangelist is Elmer Gantry or some other singular guy. Billy Graham is not Elmer Gantry, I don't mean that, but that the evangelist is somebody who there's a tent, and he comes, and then for some reason everybody shows up, a George Whitfield in our colonial era, or even um, um, uh, his opponent, Wesley. These Famous speakers that speak and people come to hear, and they're specially gifted to get an audience and attention. And we think that historically we've thought that's what an evangelist is, someone gifted to get the attention of people. And that, that may be the case. It may be that they have this ability. But I think that since this is one of the only places that mentions this as a gift, I mean, the only real place that mentions a gift um, you should read the rest of the context to see what they're supposed to be doing. How does an evangelist equip the saints for the work of service? See, you can't just farm out your evangelism work. your witnessing for Christ to a specialist that brings people to the tent. And then we have people standing by to give you some literature and to bring you back to pray together and we will connect you to a local church. (laughs) That's not apparently... Primarily what Paul has in mind, I think. How does the person who is gifted in this task equip the saints for the work of service? Have you ever had an evangelist teach you how to do it? Have you ever had someone gifted in sharing Christ share with you how to share Christ? I think this makes the person 10 times more powerful than if they just we set them up a venue and invited people if they wanted to come. I don't believe in the revivalist movement or method I, I don't believe in it. I don't think that we, if we just build a tent and have someone with a microphone, people will flock. I mean, maybe we could do an experiment. I'd love to prove me wrong. Let's get out there and preach the gospel 12 hours straight with a giant speaker, the loudspeaker, and just see who comes, right? It'd probably be an interesting crowd. Or nobody. Or we'd be in the newspaper. A preacher preaches the parking lot. No one comes. See, I don't think that's the. that's not, the, that's not what we're doing. Now, why did people flock to Jesus? Oh, listen to his words. You can't serve God and wealth. Wow, that's good stuff. I'm going to take that home, write that down, contemplate that. Why did they flock to Jesus? He's raising people from the dead. He's giving sight to the blind. He has miraculous power, and that authenticates what he's about to say. And then the point is what he says. That's Matthew we'll talk about next hour. But what I'm saying is the evangelist seems to be somebody who equips the saints for the ministry of service. And do you need to share Christ? You do. Do you need to know how to do it? You do. Do you need someone to encourage you to do it? We do. Evangelists at least bring energy and remind us we should be doing this. That's one of their main jobs, I think, is to tell the body of Christ, share your faith. They do that, and that's why Timothy's told to do the work of an evangelist. The other piece certainly is that they, they give know-how. They equip us to, to do it and um, we have hopefully you've experienced this kind of training this kind of equipping pastors and teachers there's a theory about this that it's the same person some say no pastors are always teachers but not all teachers are pastors and the problem is um, that the grammar doesn't really help you uh, in greek if you dig down to the grammar as much as some have thought so isn't the granville sharp rule as they've called it or you can't make the, them dogmatically be the same person, and I don't believe that every person gifted with teaching is supposed to pastor. I think some women are gifted with teaching, and, and the Bible never says women pastor. In fact, women cannot pastor or teach men in first Timothy two eleven and twelve and that's God's grace and His provision and his blessing of you and I know that's controversial, but it's, I mean it's really clear it's really clear first Timothy two eleven and twelve and and there's a good reason why, and Paul doesn't say because men are better at it. He says because God is doing something with his creation order. He goes back to Genesis 2. But anyway, um, hopefully that doesn't blow your mind too much, but the, the, this, this group right here, I believe uh, at least that pastors are teachers. And so what you end up with is because of these communicators, what happens is that they communicate for your equipping, all of you, Are equipped for the work of service for you the Saints for us to do the work of service to what end to the building up of the body of Christ we're doing the work of service for the building up of the body of Christ it doesn't say the pastors build the body of Christ it says they equip the Saints to build up the body of Christ it's a it's a body and it's it grows like a body grows nourishment comes in and it does what it's supposed to do and the cells reproduce and they they work it's not like there's one agent going between all the cells and making them reproduce it's this nourishment happens and it's organic and we're never done until we all attain to the unity of the faith so that we they the you the saints may the, the, so that the communicators may equip you all the saints for you to do the work of service so that by doing the work of service, God might use your efforts to accomplish the goal of building up the body of Christ. That's, that's the paraphrase. That God would use you with God's end in mind that we all attain a singular perspective on God's revelation, a singular view of Christ and each one arising to spiritual maturity by that knowledge. Spiritual maturity defined as the stature, the very character of Jesus Christ. That is the answer what we're building does that not get you excited? That gets me very excited. I want to be part of that project. Put me in, coach. Next Sunday, we're going to talk extensively, especially second hour, about a building project. Your building team has worked assiduously for, uh, for more than a year on a plan that would work. The town has said, "With yeah, you'll do this will go. It's a Preston Historic Village District. It works with the historic setting of the town. It's... it's A lot of the questions about possibility or feasibility are answered. Some of the other questions about possibility are not answered. Beloved, please, please hold this thought. This church is not a building, and the church building project is not the physical building. It's people. It's the ministry of the gospel. It's the edification of the saints. Who cares where we do it? Who cares what the building is like? Not somebody focused on the mission. Paul, go over to the school of Tyrannus, whatever that is. He'll, he'll preach there. There's a roof. There's, there's overhead covered. Let's go. I, I couldn't care less what physical structure we do it in. What I want, what I, my dream, is that every one of our hearts would be so equipped to grow spiritually into the giftedness God has given us that we would throw in and, and build this body of, this body of believers into a mature man in the character of Christ. You know what we need? We need people that could work with kids. Because we got a bunch of kids. I have I have on good authority that we're not too far away, if we wanted, it's not long at all, to figure out a certification and the mechanic support to grab a bus and go down to Norwich and grab these kids in our good news club and bring them to the church. We could do it tomorrow. We ought to go to the bus bar and see if we can rent and just say, hey, can we, get it? can we try it and do a special. I believe that all these kids and families that we've reached out to in Norwich, if we came to get them, a lot of them would be here with us. Now, what would you do with them? Well, we try not to make eye contact. <laughs> you'd love them. You'd hug them. You'd say, we're so glad you're here. You'd take them in hand. You'd make sure that if it was up to, if, 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 if they're going to be here, that someone's going to tell them that Jesus loves them and that the, he died for their sins. And, and that means we love you too. You would do something. You would make sure that, I mean, if, 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 if nobody else does, I'm going to do it. It's going to have, this is going to happen because they're here and this is our ministers, our, our we are building. I have a gift. I'm going to use it. You would feed them. You have to feed them. You have to provide food for the poor children that might come when we release at noon. You have to give them something to take home. And you have to give them a reason for them to think about the Lord through the week. And you have to check in with them next time and know their name. You have to take a personal interest. That's what children's ministry requires. You've got to know their names. You've got to look them in the eye. You have to tell them Jesus loves them and then show them what that looks like. Just for one example, dozens of little children that we're ministering to constantly that are not in a church. Now, don't get all deterministic on me and uh, shut down William Carey here and say, well, if the Lord wants to minister to them, he'll do it. That's not the way this works. But you see what I'm saying? There are opportunities and doors and, and, and harvest Chances for us, harvest uh, opportunities, the, the, the Bayview and, and, uh, and Beachwood. Did you know Bayview uh, Rehab, Bayview Rehab in Waterford is asking us if we will do a weekly Bible study there. The residents want someone to go teach the Bible to them weekly. We go monthly to do a worship service with them, which includes Bible teaching. They want to do a sit down together, talk it out Bible study. I assume with coffee. I don't know how to do it. Hebrews, right? That's what we study. That's an opportunity that's sitting there. There's a good news club in a, under attack in a country district that desperately needs a leader, someone spiritually mature enough and gifted to do the work. They need someone to, to cover this and preach the grace gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the kids in the, country, in the little country town. There are so many opportunities, so many awesome opportunities. And see, this building I think was designed in a, in a mindset that you came, you worship, and you leave. And we've treated it like this, this building like that for a long time. And you should repent if that's the way you think about it. We should all repent. If I think this is the place where I come and I hear and I leave, and I don't think of these people as my church, my body of believers that I'm associated with, that I assemble with, you've misunderstood. We've horribly misunderstood. And that's the stewardship. Father, thank you for the gospel ministry, for the challenge that you give us to work in it, to live it. Father, if these words that we're saying seem convicting or condemning, God, let, let them fall where they need to so we can make the changes we need to make. As you've equipped us and allowed us to serve you with the gospel, Father, thank you so much. We praise you for the ability and the wisdom to, move, to, to go through those doors. Father, if there's anyone here with this appeal that's hearing about all the labor in the gospel that you call for, that you're inviting us to, that you're enriching us by, those here that have no idea who Jesus is or why we would do this, Father, bring the gospel to their hearts. Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead. If it's your desire for us to share these words, Father, we ask that the Spirit would open our mouths, that we would know you because we've spent time and your word, even here together today, so we would know how to say the things that you've said, how to share the truths that you've given us so that we could love them with the truth. And Father, those that don't know Christ, you have to do the preparatory work. You have to superintend the process all along through your spirit. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.